Getting In is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word products. Just for being a Getting In listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice by going to www.audible.com college. From Slate and Panoply, this is Getting In, a podcast series about the path to college. I'm your host, Julie Lithcott-Hames, and today, Amy Young is here with me. Hi, Amy. Hi, Julie. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for being with us on the episode today. Amy's one of our Getting In experts and the Director of College Counseling at Avenues, an independent school in New York. Today, we'll answer a question about financial aid many of you have been emailing us about. Are colleges truly need blind? And we'll hear about an affordable college option that may sound a little crazy. You're up. But first, taking tests to many admissions offices, strong SAT and ACT scores can be just as valuable as great grades. And this fall, several of our Getting In seniors took steps to improve their scores. The last time we heard from August Graves, she was excited to get her new SAT scores. On the SAT, I super score. I'm at a 1900. And, you know, I I took it three times, but I really only needed to take it twice. And, um, the third time I took it, which was this October, um, I thought I crushed it, and I actually did worse um, than I did the second time. And it was so heartbreaking because I took the second test, like, not studying at all. And the third time I studied my ass off, like, I studied so hard, and then I actually did worse than I did the second time, which was confusing and depressing and, like, heartbreaking, and I was just really sad. Um, and then I took the ACT in October also, and actually the score just took, came out yesterday. I, I like, I didn't study for the ACT at all. I knew what was on the test two days before I took the test. Like, it was so um, just random and, like, on a whim and just, like, hey, let me just see how I do. And I got a 35 on the English section out of a 36. And that is, like, oh, my God, it was so, I was surprised and it was the best, actually. Like, I was so happy. Jonathan Diaz wasn't happy with his SAT scores from this spring, the first time he took it. He chose a November date to take it again. Because if I took it straight in September, I would have no recollection of doing math. I wouldn't know what math is. But now that I have this November date, I had months of training in math. So now I can, I feel like my test score in math would increase a lot more. And we got this message from Jonathan after he took the test a second time. I'm actually a lot happier than the first time I took the SATs. I feel like I'm, I did a lot better, especially in the math section. The reading section I feel a lot better about with grammar mistakes and finding errors. And I feel like my vocabulary also increased this time around. It's great to hear that Jonathan feels a little bit more confident after having taken the SAT the second time around. Kids tend to do better if they are able to take the test a second or third time. And while Jordana Meyer was really happy with her combined 2200 SAT score from the spring, she changed her mind as the school year began. Fast forward to uh, like two, three months ago, I realized that my score was pretty polarized. I got 780 on critical reading and 770 on writing and then a 670 on math. And, you know, I thought if I could blow away the verbal sections, why couldn't I do the same with math? I figured it was worth one more try on the math section before I uh, sent in my early application. So um, I did a few math tutoring sessions just to brush up because um, I hadn't done SAT math for a while. 
Um, and I retook the SAT um, October 11th, and I upped my math score to 690. So my super score now is 2240, um, which I'm really happy with. Amy, what's your approach to standardized tests with your students? So one of the things that we concentrate on is that we try to moderate the anxiety. We try to moderate the time that students spend on prepping for standardized tests. Prepping for these tests, taking these tests is a soulless pursuit. Um, Students are definitely better off spending their time doing other things, but we all understand how important they are to the process and to individual students. They want to feel like they did well. So we encourage juniors uh, in the spring of their junior year to sit for either an SAT or an ACT. We encourage them to pick one or the other and not prep or take both because that's just more Saturday mornings. That's more time that they're spending prepping instead of doing other things. Uh, And then by the end of that junior year, if they aren't happy with what they have, then they might pick up some extra prep over the summer and retake in the fall. But our general rule of thumb, and this is something we get from the college admission offices, is that they really don't want to see students taking this more than twice, if at all possible, because then it looks like you actually enjoy taking these tests, right? If you're sending in five results from the SAT, it looks like you actually have fun doing it, and that would just be a little weird. And of course, we know that the more a student can afford to prep for a test and retake it, the better their scores tend to be, which makes me really think about a kid like Jonathan and plenty of others who don't have access to that kind of thing. It just kind of calls into question the value of of testing, you know, at a meta level, I think. Absolutely. And I think students understand oftentimes that even though prep can be tedious and time consuming, it it is also an enormous privilege to have access to standardized test prep. It is a privilege to be able to take practice and diagnostic tests. It is a privilege to be able to take it multiple times. Um, and And I think it's important for students to understand that, that those scores, while it's something they can own and something they can work towards, that the test itself is is deeply problematic and on a lot of levels. We'll keep you updated on how our seniors are doing as those scores roll in and they finalize their list of schools. So I guess it's time for some listener questions. A dad in Ohio recently sent us this voice memo. I am Ken Huffman from Central Ohio. I have two daughters going to college next year, and I have a financial aid question. On application websites, colleges always ask, do you intend to pursue need-based financial aid? And there's data available that indicates the average amount of financial aid per student at every college. The financial calculators I've used seem to indicate that we are unlikely to get any financial aid. But does answering yes to the financial aid question decrease the chances of my daughter getting accepted? Are colleges truly need-blind? Amy, what do you think? There are a couple of things going on in that question. I think to answer the question as stated, are are colleges truly need blind? Those that say that they are truly need blind for the most part are. And what it means to be truly need blind is that in the evaluation process, the admission office doesn't even know if you are applying for financial aid. Those are two separate offices. Um, they do not exchange information. Um, and there, are, there aren't that many schools that are truly need blind. You will find many that are what is called need aware. And those are schools where um, when a college admission 
representative is reviewing that application, there will probably be marked somewhere in that application, whether it's on the Common App or whether it's on some sort of crib sheets that they use or in both places that this student is applying for financial aid. Now, they may not know how much a student might be needing or how much they may want. Um, So that may not come into their decision at that exact moment. Um, It's also very possible that at the end of the process, when they have decided whether or not they will admit a student, Um, If they have decided to admit a student, they may then look at the financial need for that student. And if, in fact, it looks like they aren't able to cover that need, they may go ahead and then withdraw that that admission for that student um, because they would rather not admit the student than not fund their financial need. So there are a lot of layers going on there. I think to get back to your other question of checking the box, if I check the box that I am a that we would be applying for financial aid, could that affect my daughter's chances of getting admitted somewhere? Um, Yes, quite possibly, um, unless it is a school that does promote themselves as truly need blind. I guess it's just one of the harsh realities of the process that if a college is going to accept you, they want to know that either you can pay the bill or they can help you in paying the bill. And if they don't think they can help you in paying the bill, they're not going to admit you. And I think everyone's dealing with limited resources. The colleges certainly have a financial aid budget. Um, Some of them have bigger budgets than others. And it's those schools that have enormous endowments that are able to say we are truly need blind um, and we will fund students um, with their entire demonstrated need. Um, But as with anything, resources are limited at these schools. And that's part of what informs these policies in the admission offices. Well, our next question is also about affordability. It's actually a comment. Paolo Balduzzi, an American living in Italy, wrote us with this suggestion. As expats living in Florence, our kids are largely spared by the pressure cooker environment of getting into university. Yet as semi-foreigners, our net is cast wider than most Italians. We are exploring schools in the Netherlands, the UK, and Canada. The exorbitant cost of higher education in the U.S. puts a significant strain on most families. Most universities in Europe are free with the exception of nominal admission costs. To those families not in the top earning tiers, knowing something about the affordable and competitive options available in Europe is an added resource. If we parents truly want to raise responsible global citizens, the opportunity of studying abroad is one of the most enriching experiences we can provide for our children. You know, I know many American families can't even contemplate their kids going a thousand or two or three thousand miles away from home here in the U.S., say across the country or to the Midwest from one of the coasts. Do you think American families are ready to consider opportunities for higher education in Europe, Amy? I mean, even if they are more affordable, what do you think about that option as a viable option for American families? Well, here, here to the sentiment that if we want to raise global citizens, uh, our students need to be comfortable going to school all over the world. Um, and more and more colleges are actually developing programs to help that happen for students. Um, and absolutely, there are American families who are very comfortable with sending their students abroad. And there are some great options for them. And I think th- that can be both a financially driven decision as well as a global enriching experience driven decision. Uh, and there are certainly plenty of 
available for English-speaking students, though that does sort of inform your your college search process in a different way. The colleges in Europe um, offer a very different experience for students. So I think you have to have a very particular kind of student who is willing to take that challenge and accept a campus and college experience that will be very different from the liberal arts experience they would have in the U.S. Amy, are there specific locations or schools that you'd recommend for students who speak only English? There are um, wonderful schools, obviously, in England. Scotland is a popular destination for students interested in studying in Europe. Um, Also, uh, Ireland has some fantastic schools. And I think those schools also offer students an ability to really access the continent of Europe and access other parts of the world that goes above and beyond just sort of their academic experiences and their social experiences. Um, But there are also American universities and other places such as American University of Paris and these sorts of things. So there really are a lot of options for students. There are English speaking uh, universities in Israel, so they can cast a fairly wide net. Interesting. And what about the differences in the application process in uh, countries outside the U.S.? What, what are the differences and what should students be aware of? In terms of the application process, what is sometimes a pleasant surprise for many students is that colleges abroad, and I should throw in Australia and New Zealand into this conversation as well, um, but colleges abroad are oftentimes very standardized test-driven in their selection process. So there are many schools that don't even want to see a student's transcript. They are only interested in a student's test scores. So for students who do not test particularly well, going abroad is a bit more of a difficult option. Um, for students who test extremely well, it's a great option. It's even a a better option for students for whom there is a bit of a gap between the strength of their standardized test scores and maybe the strengths of their transcript for any number of reasons. Um, So it's very possible that they might actually be able to get into stronger programs in some of these universities abroad because their standardized test scores will inform the admission decision. Interesting. In terms of the application and the search process for students who are looking abroad, the the university programs outside of the United States are less liberal arts based. And what that means is that students are typically applying to one major or one program um, or one certificate. There are different ways of describing it, but you really have to know what you want to study. It is not like in the United States where you spend the first two years of a liberal arts program exploring, reading great books, these sorts of things. You really do apply to a history program or an international relations program or an engineering program, and they're fairly rigid. So they're wonderful options for particular students who have a very strong sense of what they want to study in college. Um, They're also great in the sense that many of them are three years long, so that's another way to save money on tuition. Um, And also, you can walk out with a law degree or a medical degree in those particular fields. So if you want to start practicing those professions sooner, sometimes a European degree um, can be helpful. So how affordable are these European schools actually compared to the U.S. schools that we're familiar with? Sometimes extremely more affordable. The exchange rate of the euro can sometimes greatly affect these tuition costs. But if you're looking, and let's just say, as a, as a point of reference, American schools, private schools tend to run in the range of, you know, somewhere in the 40s, 45 grand a year, somewhere around there. There's a, there's a range within that, obviously. Um, but if you are looking abroad, you can easily be in the tuition range of fifteen to $20,000 a year. And for some of those programs, uh, it might only be a three-year program. So it's very possible for the savings to be considerable. 
So it actually sounds like a pretty intriguing option. Uh, a lot of schools in English-speaking countries are going to be a lot more affordable than we're used to here in the U.S. If a kid has a really specific, you know, major-type interest, this might really be the option for them. And I, I don't want to overlook, of course, the many American students who have a good deal of proficiency in a foreign language, who might find the opportunity to study in that language quite intellectually challenging and enriching, and end up emerging not only with an undergraduate degree. But with fluency in a second or possibly third language, which of course uh, will serve them incredibly well in this 21st century. Well, sticking with this theme of international study, here's a voicemail we got from a parent who's raising her daughters overseas. Hi, my name is Julie, and I'm calling from Washington D.C. I have two questions. Um, my first question is, what can you tell me about the difference between getting into a good college? coming from an IB school rather than a regular U.S. high school with just AP classes. My second question is that I am raising two daughters overseas, and often they're in international schools overseas, and I'm wondering how that looks for potential recruiters and admissions officers at schools in the U.S. Is that seen as more, um, more rigorous? Are they looked upon more highly than regular U.S. students or not? And what should they be doing in their international schools to prepare themselves for the application process or to just better frame their experience for U.S. colleges? Thank you. I'll bet a number of our listeners aren't familiar with the term IB, which stands for International Baccalaureate. Amy, can you walk us through what that is and maybe how it differs from other high school programs? The IB curriculum is uh, run by the International Baccalaureate Organization, and that is a standardized curriculum uh, that schools can opt to teach in their in their their particular program. It's something that colleges know and recognize when they see it, um, similarly to AP in the sense that when colleges see AP classes, they know what that means. So IB is a rigorous offering that some schools have got going on, as is the case with AP. For anyone listening that doesn't have access to IB or AP for that matter, don't worry. Remember, colleges are going to evaluate you or your kid within the context of what they had available to them in high school. There are two tracks in an IB program. There is a standard track and there is an honors track. Um, So the honors track is viewed as more rigorous than the standard track in an IB curriculum. Um, But I I think the point is that you want your students making strong decisions about their program. You want them challenging themselves in appropriate ways. And A student will not be at a disadvantage if they are at a school that does not offer either IB or AP, though if they are in a school that offers one of the two or perhaps both, they will be expected to be taking advantage of um, challenging options that make the most sense for them. This gets back to that question of context or that point about context that the colleges and universities want to see that students have really taken advantage of whatever was available to them in their home environment, their school environment. And I, I think that segues perfectly into this question of, you know, how rigorous will this be seen if my, my daughters are raised overseas? They are going to have incredible experiences that are going to be singular and compelling. And I think that needs to be part of their application. How they do that, I think, will sort of make sense in terms of how they are taking advantage of their context, which is having these really enriching international experiences. And what they have to say about that can absolutely be a part of the application. 
And colleges will be excited to hear about that because they are going to have experiences, competencies, um, backgrounds that other students won't bring to those campuses. So to this mom Julie's question, it's it's really not about them definitively being more highly regarded than regular U.S. students or less highly regarded. It's really about, well, how are these young women going to describe the educational experience they've had, the opportunities they've taken advantage of? At the end of the day, as with any applicant, it comes down to how that applicant writes about themselves, You know how they put that application together. It's not about your experiences. It's what you have to say about them. And if you have nothing to say about them, it's much less compelling. Beautifully put, Amy. So listen, uh, Julie, thanks so much for that question, and Ken and Paolo as well. We really love hearing from you. Please keep sending us your questions at gettingin@slate.com, or you can call our hotline and leave a message. That number is 929-999-4353. Well, that's it for this episode. I'm going to be away for the next couple of weeks, so I'm passing the reins over to Amy Young, who's been with us today, and who'll be guest hosting until I return in December. Amy, thanks so much for agreeing to uh, guest host the podcast. Thank you so much, Julie. I'm so thrilled to do it. We're delighted to have you. Catch up on any episodes you might have missed at slate.com slash getting in. And you can find me on Twitter. My Twitter handles are at Dean Julie and at Raise an Adult. And please do leave us a comment on iTunes and share episodes of Getting In on Facebook. It helps other people discover our show. Getting In is a production of Slate and Panoply Media. Michelle Siegel is our producer. Production help from Barry Finkel. Our executive producer is Laura Mayer. And Panoply's chief content officer is Andy Bowers. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Julie Lithcott-Hames, and I hope you'll join us again next time on Getting In. And remember... It's not just about getting into some school everyone's talking about. It's about finding the right fit. Getting In is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible has more than 180,000 audiobooks. You can download them and access them on a bunch of different devices, like iPhones, Android, Kindle, or pretty much any other MP3 player. One book you might try out from Audible is Unfinished Business by Anne-Marie Slaughter. Slaughter explores issues women and men face surrounding work-life balance and offers a vision for equality in the workplace and at home. If you want to listen to Unfinished Business or many other books, Audible has it. With more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word products, you'll find what you're looking for. Get a free audiobook and 30-day trial today by signing up at www.audible.com slash college. That's A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash college. And use the promo code COLLEGE.